Hello and welcome back to the Cycling Tips Podcast. It's me, Kaylee Fritz, and we are coming to you live from the Waterfront Tavern in beautiful Shell Cove, uh, just out of the Wollongong Township. I sound weird tonight. It's the jet lag. <laughs> Thank you, Lane Trelor. No problem. We appreciate you. Oh, do you know, I, I forgot to tell you when I was speaking to Charlotte and I said your name and she goes, oh, is that what you say? And I was like, no, no, that is his name. That's not what, it's not how I say it, that is his name. <laughs> is that what you say? <laughs> I like that. We'll build some clarity around that in a little bit. I am Kaylee Fretz. That was a terrible American accent from Ian Trello. pretty good. To, to open today's podcast, but I appreciate your, your strong effort. I think the cadence there. was good as well. Cadence was quite good. Yeah. Yeah. You got that part down. I'm in Australia. I've joined all of you. Are we south of Sydney? North of Sydney? Where are we right now? South of Sydney. South of Sydney in Wollongong for the World Championships. And we've got well, not the normal crew, really, because we're in Australia, and normally when we make this podcast, all of you are asleep. But, lucky for us, we've got you this week, so... Should we do a roll call around the table? I think we need a bit of a roll call. We heard Ian already. You guys, Hello. I think, I think anybody listening to the podcast during the Tour de France will know exactly who Ian Trellor is. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Sai Shay, we, we haven't had you on this podcast before. No, for shame. For not shame. Not once. Uh, our esteemed colleague from over at Bella News joining us tonight to talk through some of the bike racing. Welcome. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. And Matt Deneef. Hello. That was a, I like that hello. <laughs> that was an Ian Trelaw-esque hello, I think. <laughs> hello, friends. <laughs> I like that very much. We've got a fair amount to talk about. I, it is... We, we, we have oh, another person to talk about I forgot about that as well. Dave Rome's here. <laughs> hi, Dave. Oh, Hi. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's good to be included, so thanks. <laughs> Welcome, Dave. Dave's going to be our nerd nugget this evening. It is, what day is it? I don't know. It's Wednesday. Wednesday? It's Wednesday. It's Wednesday the 21st here in Australia, which means it's Tuesday right now where a lot of you are listening, and it'll be Wednesday by the time you actually do listen. So it's Wednesday. As the uh, saying goes, it's always Wednesday somewhere. <laughs> it's always Wednesday somewhere. It is Wednesday here. It is Wednesday where you are. We are halfway through the world's week, and we want to talk about what's happened thus far. Some pretty interesting things happened today, actually, in the mixed relay. We had some big crashes. We had chain issues. We had Anna van Vluten hitting the deck really quite hard, uh, and... At the moment, we don't know exactly what the repercussions of that are, but we're going to talk about what they might be. Uh, fair amount of racing that's already happened, and then we'll talk a little bit about about what's coming up. Not too much, because we're going to have two more podcasts later this week to, to go into more depth on the elite races this weekend. Ian, you started setting the scene, but we need a we need a full scene setting. Please. Yeah, I'll lapse out of a bad American accent for this. <laughs> uh, so we are in Shell Cove, which is a suburb south of Wollongong by about half an hour. We're staying a little bit further south of this again, but this uh, has become a regular haunt. We've been here a few nights. This seems to be the right combination of tasty, close to home, uh, but getting most of the drive done. It's good. There's music. There's a lot of screens playing different sports. There's a 
You guys were teaching me about AFL. AFL football. There's, uh, there's, uh, there was a poker screen before, which was very exciting, watching people move chips around. <laughs> we were also moving chips around, but they were mostly into our mouths. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, that's the scene. So there we are. Let's start talking about some bike racing. I think today was among the sort of most interesting days although we didn't necessarily think that was going to be the case this morning. In fact, we were hanging out in the press tent earlier talking about how slightly strange today's racing was. Maybe that's a good place to start. Uh, do we like the mixed relay thing that happened today? I like it. It's got a kind of chaotic energy to it that I think is quite nice amongst the very serious business that is elite time trials and elite road races and everything. You get the sense that even for the biggest nations, they're still kind of working out how this whole mixed T2T relay thing actually works. Like the Australian guys only rode together for the first time yesterday. The women only a few months ago for one session, something like that. Um, they're on different bikes, different helmets that, you know, it's uh, the press conferences I wrote today was a bit of a shambles. Everyone not sure what they were supposed to do and yeah, it was just a little bit different. You had smaller nations there riding and just being happy to compete on the biggest stage and you also had some of the biggest hitters in world time trialing there as well so yeah i loved it kind of a fun mixed bag so have you talked to uh it was the crew from samoa Amer samoa yeah. samoa samoa yeah accent over the a well not an accent actual accent but emphasis over the first day uh one of the more interesting teams i think that was in the event today and that <laughs> Came together quite late, and um, wow, a stark contrast to, for example, the the pile of World Tour riders on the Australian team that left shortly after them. Yeah, I think one of the quirks of the the mixed team relay is that you kind of get quite a few, like not that many nations that can actually put a team forward, and so they kind of like to try and put some kind of lesser known cycling nations. Um, in there and so today we had a, a few we had uh, Samoa Tahiti and uh, New Caledonia um, and yeah Samoa had like four weeks notice they kind of had to like run around and find like as many bike riders as they could um, we found out that I think it was like a third of the people that actually kind of ride and race on the island were in the team. Accord, yeah, according to, do you remember the gentleman's name that we were speaking to? Not at this moment, no. But anyway, according to one of the riders today, there was what, 15 or 16 riders? Yeah. It, sort of serious riders on the island, and six of them <laughs> were in the race today. Yeah, and, and some of them didn't even have like, TT attachments to their bike like it was a full road setup that they were going with <laughs> yeah I think I remarked to Kaylee when it came onto the TV that it was kind of like watching a triathlete on the road sort of have a road group go past them and then just like tag onto the back because there was one person on a time trial bike and the rest are on road bikes <laughs> and the guy it was just uh yeah the guy on the time trial bike was just hanging out in the back just not wanting to be too rude to interrupt the nice ride of the the two people <laughs> on the front but um, yeah, certainly, certainly funny to see that and then see, uh, I guess, the riders that followed. There were also some, uh, some nice stats in that there was such a wide range of ages represented, which, again, is not typical uh, within World Tour riders. But in 
Samoa, I think there was a 27-year age split between the oldest and the youngest rider. Uh, in New Caledonia, it was 24 years or something like that. So there were, there were people there from like 1978, 1979, um, which is not to say that that cohort of our listeners are old. You have your best years ahead of you. I believe that. But uh, as elite-level cyclists, it's, it's unusual to see 44-year-olds on the start line. Perhaps the best years are behind you at that point. I feel like my best years are behind me. <laughs> I like that part of it. Uh, just something a bit unique about today. And, and we've seen that. You get, you get a bit of the same thing at the Olympics, for example, where you often get a bunch of small nations that get one birth. Uh, and, and those are often some of the most interesting stories that come out of, come out of a racing day like today. Speaking of one nation births, I've got a, a big story about to break uh, about the Vatican City rider. Um, not to encourage any rival publications that might be listening, but I have been receiving insane press releases from the Vatican City. Um, I've got a quote from the Pope. <laughs> I, I have uh, full details about all of the bishops that are part of the official Vatican City delegation. Like it's, a, it's good stuff. It's a story that is very much down my alleyway. So... I'm very happy about that. Keep an eye open for that whenever I get around to writing it. I very much look forward to that one. Um, what does the Pope say? Uh, just Can you stuff divulge? about perseverance and like. Have you said how many words the press release? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> almost two thousand. It's like five pages. <laughs> like a, a press release, generally speaking, um, tends to be pretty concise. I think they aim to get a, get all the punchy info on the first page, but there is no punchy info. Like there's there's like a, a full. I don't know, like a thousand-word statement from their rider. There's, there's a lot going on. I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to be able to condense it because, yeah, it's it's good stuff. Well, it's have to be a long read. Yeah, sure. <laughs> a mini novella. Yeah. Uh, on this sort of, I guess, I don't want to say slightly more serious because everyone is taking it seriously today, but. Um, the more accomplished end of, of the racing today. Uh, there were some other interesting things that happened, probably the most notable of which was a pretty nasty crash from Enemy Kudvoten, who went down within, what, 50 meters of the, of the start line? And Dave Rome, you've been doing a fair amount of kind of... Replaying. Yeah, yeah, you've just been watching on your phone over and over and over again, yep. basically. We're trying to figure out exactly what happened here. What's your best guess at the moment? Best guess uh, looks to be very much drivetrain related. There, there appears to have been either perhaps a... My speculation is that perhaps it was an unwanted shift that maybe Ben Bluden had accidentally hit the shift buttons and, and enacted a front chainring shift while under power and threw from the big chainring onto the small chainring and then I guess because of the pace that she was doing it at ended up effectively like uh, um, catching the chain and therefore ripping the derailleur off. And, and that catch of the chain, especially on a time trial, bike, uh, time trial bike, caused a pretty dramatic shift of weight and there was just no bringing it back after that. And every, you know you saw what happened after that. The, the bike just went off to the left and hit the barrier and damage ensued. Do we have any update on enemies? <laughs> health situation or she's currently in the hospital right Matt 
Yeah, I think that's the latest. Um, she said that she had a pretty banged up elbow, um, a lot of skin off her side as well. She's in quite a bit of pain and has real fears for Saturday. She doesn't know what that's going to mean for her road race. Um, so, I mean, obviously we hope she's okay. Um, it was a really nasty crash. She was holding her head as well when she sat up, and that was probably the most worrying thing, that she stood up and was very woozy and needed help kind of getting across the road. Um, so, yeah, no update beyond that at the moment, but we'll keep an eye on that, and, yeah, hopefully she's okay. It was a bit of a bad day for the Dutch in general, actually. Uh, loathe to bring it up, given his history, but Bakamolova had some... I, I would. They're not. They weren't front shifting issues. He's on a one by, but he also dropped the chain middle of his race today. So that the Dutch was just they were having some troubles. All out of sorts. Yeah. I, I, he he tried to get the chain back on for a while. Um, ended up wrapping it even more comprehensively around his chain ring and cranks and pedals and all sorts of things. And then by the time that he stopped to rectify the situation, the other two guys were off down the road, and there was no uh, getting them back which meant that he had a, a long, lonely ride. I don't know if he made it to the finish, but he certainly made it far enough that uh, after having been swooped by a magpie earlier on this week, he copped a seagull full to the face. <laughs> like, just a mangled seagull. There's, there's a picture of it floating around. Just a mangled seagull with his, like... like it's Mid-race? Uh, yeah, I think so. Like, uh, he was... 60k an hour, I read. Yeah. The... So the seagull would be dazed. Yeah. Uh, Balka may have been as well. <laughs> I think it's fair to say he's not having a good run with our wildlife, um, but they're having a good run with him. <laughs> so it swings and roundabouts. As an Australian, I'm slightly surprised that it's the birds he's having a problem with. Right? And not something slightly more dangerous. No, I think the birds are the problem. Like uh, the, <laughs> the magpies seem to have really sent the international peloton a flutter. Um, for all of our non-Aussie listeners out there, you need to provide some context as to why magpies, which, like, there are magpies where I live that are not a problem. Our magpies are nice as well. Yeah. Like, yours are next level. Our magpies are nice. They just want to say hi. Very close to you. Um, no, it is spring in Australia, not, not spring where most of our listeners are, uh, but they're wrong. So, here in spring... The magpies, a small small minority of the male magpies are trying to protect their nests. And the way that they protect their nests is by attacking cyclists or runners as they're riding past. <laughs> so uh, that tends to be like a friendly little swoop, a little tap of the helmet. Hey, how are you going? Um, sometimes they're a little bit more aggressive. I riding Your past ear. My ear, yeah. Riding past a, a beautiful uh, like iron refinery the other day, I <laughs> copped a seagull to the ear not a seagull sorry a magpie to the ear and it was it was a vivid experience for me Cop copped a magpie to the ear just to be very clear it dove at you yeah and attacked your head yeah three times <laughs> but then I went around the corner and got on with my day like, was the, was there blood there was blood yeah I made my blood sacrifice to the magpie <laughs> of Port Kembla and uh, and I'm not complaining about it I just accept it as a part of nature. Meanwhile, Remco of Venipol is whinging about it, left, right, and centre, saying that he uh, is afraid of it. <laughs> saying that it, a, a quite large bird kept following him. Fact check: it's medium size. <laughs> probably does keep following him, but if you're from Belgium, it's probably a large bird. 
Yeah, yeah, true. What do you say to the accusation that the birds are organising so that Australia wins at the weekend? Well, I'm Australian, so <laughs> uh, debunked. <laughs> and I also gave them press. Like, I, I wrote an article about magpies, so I, I think that they've achieved multiple goals through through this, and they're, they're still attacking people, so I think the problem's with them. Um... I don't know if this is the right time to bring it up, but I feel like a magpie to the ear that drew blood perhaps isn't the most painful thing that's happened to you this week. It's a segue. What happened to him this week? Oh, you mean like emotionally? Yeah. Okay. No, we're going to get to that at the end. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ooh, nice little teaser. It's some like foreshadowing. Oh. It's some good foreshadowing. Some Stick good around, listeners. <laughs> so today was a, a, a little bit more eventful than we perhaps thought it was going to be uh, mostly due to sort of unfor unfortunate circumstances. Like we said, Bauka had this chain issue, which I mean, it it hurt the Netherlands' chances, but realistically, like, he was fine. You know, no crash. Attacked by a bird, apparently. Twice. But he's fine. Anamik is the, is the big question at this point. I, I mean, her presence in any race has a pretty dramatic impact on how that race unfolds. What do we think, based off what we know, A, do we think she's going to be in the racing this weekend? And B, if she's not, how does that change things? If she hit her head and she was concussed, I think there's a decent chance she doesn't start. If her elbow's as bad as she was intimating that it was, good chance she doesn't start. And if she doesn't start, that basically turns the race on its head. Um, she was the favorite. She's She goes in as the favorite to just about any race she starts. Uh, and that throws the race wide open. The Dutch obviously still have a bunch of options and will still be among the teams to beat, but the lack of Van Vliet on the start list will make it uh, a much more open race and, to be honest, much more interesting race to watch. Did we get a chance to talk to her afterward? Did, did we get anything out of the Dutch team after the race today? Well, we didn't speak to Annemiek. She was busy being seen to by the, the doctors, but we did see the... Yeah, we saw her two teammates, um, Ellen van Dijk and Rihanna Marcus. Um, they were, I mean, surprisingly upbeat, actually, yeah, considering sure. what had gone on. I'm at, they pulled out a fair like, two-up team time trial, actually making up some time on other teams. Um, but, yeah, they, they obviously know that if Annemiek's not there at the weekend, it's, it's a big blow. But, yeah, as Ellen van Dijk said, you know, we're, yeah, we've always got options in the Netherlands, so don't you worry. <laughs> like, I mean, it's, it's by far the deepest team in the race, right? Yeah, you, basically, like, everybody on the start line could probably win the thing. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Like, they've, they've got Mariana Voss. I mean, come on. Demi Vollering. You know, I think they'll be all right. Yeah, I think they'll be fine. That's probably kind of all we've got at the moment for, for racing analysis. We don't really know what the weekend's going to look like yet, and the big stuff is yet to come this week. But I'm sort of interested. I just I just landed this morning after a, a pretty smooth journey. Would you hefty, say, Kelly? Hefty, yeah, very smooth, very exceptionally smooth travel from the United States. So I don't really know how it's been. From all of you, I'd be intrigued to hear what the reception has been like here. What what give give the listeners a sense of how this is going so far. So I wrote something for Cycling Tips today, actually, about how the locals have responded to having the World Championships in town. I think it's fair to say there's been a bit of a mixed reception, particularly in the weeks and months leading up to the event. 
there were issues around communication, how it was communicated to people that the event was in town and what impact that would have. A lot of people have been frustrated by road closures and not being able to get around. But I think there's a feeling that the mood's starting to shift now that some of the best athletes in the world are coming into town and they're actually getting to see the racing take place and see the amazing feats out on the roads. One of the more curious things that we noticed in doing research for the story was that a lot of locals have been referring to Worlds as UCI or UCI Week or UCI Race. The same thing happened in, in Richmond. In Richmond, I believe, yeah. yeah. So the local newspaper is calling it UCI. Um, radio is calling it that. Even the local council is calling it UCI, which obviously doesn't say anything about cycling or the fact that it's a world championship. So the significance of the moment for the town has really been lost, and I think that's only hurt the reputation of the event and, and didn't help to build any sort of buzz for the, the thing, you know. So I, I find that quite curious, and I wonder how that ended up happening, but it's very odd to see the local newspaper reporting on road closures for UCI. A bit nice during UCI week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, strange that the exact same thing happened in Richmond. It didn't feel as much like a negative in Richmond. It just kind of felt like that just was the name for it, I, yeah. I think. Richmond went off pretty well, I would say. Actually, this was, what, 2015 Worlds in Richmond, Virginia, in the United States. And, yeah, same thing. Newspapers were calling it, like, like you know, road closures for the UCI, things like that. I, I'm not really sure whether that comes from... I'm trying to think back to like the official communication that we get, yeah. right? And like how you would, as a as a non-cycling media entity, how would you would come to that conclusion? So I think what has happened here, this is my speculation, the local newspaper, the Illawarra Mercury, has been advised to refer to the event by its full name. So the UCI Road World Cycling Championships or whatever it is exactly. So they've been told to do that. And then so sub-editors are getting in writing headlines that shorten it. And so rather than shortening it as worlds as we would or road worlds, they just lop the end of it off and just leave UCI there. And then everybody in the community has picked that up and so it's just become UCI. I guess at least people know that it's here. Like when I went to the 2016 Worlds in Qatar and the guy running the gym in our hotel didn't even know there was an event on. <laughs> Had absolutely no concept that there was a, people in town for an event. I feel like if you're living in Wollongong, you know there's an event on because you, uh, you're probably being impacted by it in some way. Like pretty much every major road into, Newca into, into Wollongong is, is impacted by the event. And uh, yeah, especially if you're, if you're in one of the more affluent areas of the, of the city, then uh, you're not leaving your house. You're not taking your car out until the race is done. That's for sure. <laughs> As some police just wander through the venue. The podcast, the, please. Excellent mustache. They've caught you, Kaylee. Superb mustache. Uh, as a as a riding destination, I think that Wollongong. We we've been for a few rides. We've ridden up into the mountains, hills, escarpment above the town, and that's really beautiful. It's it's surprisingly jungly when you get up there. It, it kind of feels like you're further north in Australia than you are, more tropical. Um, the the views are beautiful from up there. Within the city, it's uh, a confusing mix of stuff that seems to like. Th there seems to be moves towards cycling infrastructure, but on the way down to our accommodation, certainly there's a lot of three-lane highways and stuff, and the the bike lanes tend to be painted on footpaths and then spit you off into into these big roads at random. So it's a, a little bit 
confusing in that sense that the city is the Australia is the only UCI bike city in the Southern Hemisphere, the only one in Australia. What what is a UCI bike city? I'm very glad you asked, Hayley Fretz. <laughs> uh, a UCI bike city is kind of a pay-to-play initiative by the UCI awarded to cities that pay pay to host a world championship. So in in Wollongong's case. They would have paid an eight million euro, which is about twelve million Australian dollars, hosting fee um, to be be the host of the World Championships, as well as a bunch of other things like organising hotels and uh, hospitality and all sorts of stuff. So it's quite a costly exercise for the host city, and one of the ways that the UCI seems to sweeten it is by awarding them a bike city label uh, which lasts for four years among some some of the other bike cities in the world are places that have hosted world championships in the past in fact all of the bike cities in the world have hosted world championships or UCI events in the past including uh, Abu Dhabi which was announced in the most recent crop uh, for hosting a couple Known of cycling, cycling destination. I mean, there's like a big bike path there. There is a bike path. Uh, it's 50 degrees during the day. Uh, <laughs> That's 110, 15, <laughs> yeah. something like that Fahrenheit. It's, hot. <laughs> it's, it's too it's, hot to ride. It's rather hot, and I don't think that it's much of a cycling destination, but the UCI Bike City label can be used to make people think that it is. So <laughs> that's good for them. Good for the UCI. They sell some world championships and people uh, are enticed to go to, in this case, Australia's only UCI bike city, which is nice for bike riding, Mm. but it is not, in my personal opinion, which may not be endorsed by Cycling Tips or (laughs) our broader publishing group, not one of the best cycling cities in Australia that I have ridden in within the last lifetime. Now, unfortunately for you, Ian, this sort of negativity um, has had consequences for you this week. Uh, yeah, rather, so- rather good ones. It's uh, <laughs> quite quite sizable consequences uh, in that I'm not uh, able to do my job here. <laughs> I I seem to have been blacklisted by the UCI. Well, that's that's quite a heavy accusation, I would say. Allegedly. 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 Let's just... Okay, so... We, we I kind of internally debated whether we want to talk about this or not, because it's a bit, I don't know, it's a bit gazing at our own navels. Yeah, uh, but let me, let me put it this but way. It's a let me, let me ask Let me ask a question around the table. Matt, do you have a media pass that allows you to interview writers? I do. Sive, do you have a media <laughs> pass that allows you to interview writers? I do. <laughs> I do. There. Kaylee? How about you? I do indeed, yes. Okay. Although I had to uh, shake hands with a na- man named Carlo to get it. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Sounds and, like a euphemism. And I'm and I'm present, really only wanting to take photos of the bikes. I don't really care what the riders are doing, and yet I have one. But Ian, do you? <laughs> I I do not. <laughs> I applied within the uh, the deadline. Uh, I, I ticked all of the boxes. I am a member of the AIJC, the International Association of Cycling Journalists. Of which Sive is a representative. I am, yes. Yeah. yeah. Have you I'm ever heard of a, a minimum, oh, sorry, a maximum number of journalists per publication allowance? No, and it was news to my fellow AIJC <laughs> colleagues when I highlighted it to them. 
Uh, so, and indeed, there are publications with more than three journalists here, such as the esteemed Illawarra Mercury, which leads us to the question, <laughs> is this personal? <laughs> Could be. I, I choose to see the positive side of this. I do not believe that the UCI would knowingly discriminate against a journalist for writing about their... Uh, murky ties to corrupt dictatorships in Turkmenistan. I don't think that they would blacklist anybody for pointing out that uh, on the management committee is a Russian oligarch who is not in Wollongong at the moment because it would be illegal for him to be here on account of his, uh, according to the Australian government, ties to Putin and uh, the way that he has materially assisted the invasion of Ukraine. I don't believe it would be that. Uh, I don't. <laughs> I also don't for a second think that any of the reporting around uh, the way that. No, <laughs> I should probably stop. Qu quite frankly, I think it's actually your negativity around their UCI bike city that really put it over the edge. I, I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have written about Abu Dhabi. Yeah. I think that's what did it. And and, and really, the AIJC just couldn't defend it. <laughs> Nor should you. It's indefensible. <laughs> I think the real issue here is that the press room is just absolutely rammed full of journalists and yeah. there's just nowhere for you to sit. That's true. There, there was the defense that it is an extremely in-demand world championship. That is what they told us in the original email. They uh, said that too many, too many reporters wanted credentials for this world's and so therefore there was just no room for you. Matthew, <laughs> um, I know that you're uh, primarily, uh, you're, you're quite a detail-oriented person and I think in your case... Uh, you've probably done some sums. You uh, would have counted how many seats oh, there are in that media centre. Yeah, crunch the number for us. Uh, there are 484 desks in the press room at this World Championships. On a typical day, how many journalists might there be in those desks? Yesterday, for example, there were 24 journalists in the press room. That's 24 of 484. So, obviously, no just not enough room. I do take up a lot of room. I was going to say, well, it's because me and Matt take up a lot of space. We need I, like we have had a row each, to be yeah, fair, the entire yeah. week. It's been it's been shocking, really. So we we have tried um, we've tried being quite nice to the UCI and and and, and to perhaps allow them to rectify this rather absurd situation. Uh, I don't think we're going to be nice anymore. I, I think that I would say that we've appealed to two different members of the communications team at the UCI, including the head of communications. We've sent emails. Uh, we've probably made ten to fifteen approaches over the, the yeah. past week. Uh, 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 none of which we've received response yeah, to. Text messages gone unanswered on WhatsApp. So you can see they saw it. Uh, emails gone unanswered. Um, Sive has, has... You sent me. Yeah, in, in your role as an AIJC representative, not your role as a colleague of ours, but, you know, an, an important role, you didn't really get much out of them either. And so, well, I don't know. Expect a story <laughs> sometime in the next 24 to 36 hours. Uh, and... I, yeah, I guess they bring it upon themselves. I, I would also say it doesn't materially impact my ability to do my job. Like, I, I can still write stupid riddles, <laughs> not in a stadium. But you can't, like, stand in the press area and speak with anybody. No, no, I can't interview anybody. I can just yeah. watch people from a creep from outside the fence. Which is less than ideal. So, 
again, we don't want to we don't want to gaze at our own navels for too for too long here. This is uh, it's really our problem, frankly, more than than it is listeners, and but, specifically my problem, and specifically your problem, Ian. But it is a problem that we feel like highlighting because, frankly, it is nonsense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm into that. It's yeah. bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> it's complete bullshit. Uh, and yeah, we're gonna try to fix it in the next couple of days. This podcast may not help, to be perfectly honest, but we're gonna try to try to sort this out. Well, at least they have to wade through thirty minutes of us talking about the Palmers that we've eaten. <laughs> And the location of Shell Cove and all that kind of stuff before they get to the juicy stuff. That's very true. That's very true. All right. Well, that's enough of us bitching and moaning about the UCI being the UCI. Uh, I'm still somewhat stunned by this from a, I don't know, just a PR perspective. If it was me, if I was the press officer, press communications person at the UCI, I think I would just give you a credential. Because what's the worst that can happen? You just ask some questions? Like, I don't understand. Yeah, I which, uh, which I think makes it feel... Quite petty. Quite petty. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we'll keep you all updated because we will have more podcasts coming this week. We are, we're going to have uh, two live podcasts, which we're, I'm pretty sure will also end up on the internet. So you'll be able to hear them out there, audience. Uh, at least one of them will. The two live podcasts are Friday night and Saturday night, 6 o'clock at Camp Quarry. Where is this? On Kenny Street in Wollongong. Yeah, you spell Quarry it. or Kenny? Kenny Ken- is Kenny. <laughs> I, I don't know how you can mess that up. It's K-E-N-N-Y there you Street, go. Wollongong. Oh, Quarry. Uh, C-U-O-R-E, which is not how you would expect it to be. Accent over the E? Spelled. Uh, no. I thought there was. It doesn't to the... Who knows? I mean, the pronunciation would indicate. Come along on Friday and Saturday night and find out. <laughs> so we'll be there. We'll be making live podcasts. We'll be talking about the races. We'll be talking about the the wow, the big elite races that are coming up this weekend that we have not yet talked through. So if you're in the neighborhood, swing on by, say hi. Uh, and if you're not... Well, jokes on you. Hit play like you normally do. <laughs> It'll be great. I think that's it from us today. We're going to keep this one a bit tighter than usual because we've got a bunch of episodes coming this week. So, thank you everybody for listening, and we'll be back on Friday. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Peace.